Hello, welcome along. It's a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly, the only podcast that takes you all around the universe to learn all of the secret science stuff that's lurking inside. And you know we're the only one, because we won the award, didn't we? The award for the greatest podcast in the history of the universe. So someone, somewhere, very important, really digs what we do. Uh, This week, we'll look at the biggest snake in history. Don't worry, it's not around anymore. Uh, Just as well, it's huge. It's like something from Harry Potter. Uh, You can hear all about that in a little bit. Also, we'll talk about a brand new dinosaur. I think I need like an alert for that, like a klaxon. The brand new dinosaur button's been pushed. That's on the way. Uh, And we'll talk about how a helicopter is getting on up on the red planet. I'll answer your questions in a sec too. Today they're on venomous animals, cold stuff, and why people get sick on funfair rides. That's happening after we check in with our alien powers who are trying to get back home. This is NNG. NNG's Energy Challenge. G, why are you dressed up in a safari outfit? Well, I've decided that I'm going to be an electricity explorer, seeking out supplies from the this corner of the earth. Well, you can't. In that case, I'll be a daring gas cowboy, hunting down that pesky gas and bringing it home. You can't do that either, mate. Those aren't real jobs. That's not how it's done. Look, let's get on the intranet. Maybe there's a job you could do. I doubt it, but... Welcome to electquizzery.com. Find out more about energy on earth and post your questions for the Quizlet. I'll type in our question. What jobs can aliens do to bring energy home? Better making people don't want to give ourselves away. Good point. Uh, What jobs can people do to bring energy home? Thousands of people work to get the energy to homes and offices. As fossil fuels become scarce, geophysicists are kept busy searching the Earth to find new sources, making maps of the layers of minerals underground. I'm great at making maps. I got us to Earth, didn't I? Yes, technically we were aiming at Jupiter, but close enough. Maybe you'd like to work in a power station, managing the turbines that create around 80% of the country's supply, or install wind turbines in rural parts of the country, or how about putting your creative brain to work inventing new renewable ways of creating electricity? I'm very creative. That sounds pretty cool. Here, check this idea out. I could collect soggy and hemp beetles and put them in a massive wheel. And as they turn the wheel, it could power a turbine. I bet no one else has thought of that before. Possibly, as soggy and hemp beetles are only found on Zog. Creative thinkers like me don't worry about little details like that. Anyway, what else does it say? Other engineers are responsible for keeping the underground cables and overhead power lines and pylons in perfect working order. They're always working to find smarter ways to get the electricity delivered in ways that don't harm the environment. Perfect job for me. I'm great at delivering things. I could use my solar scooter. The delivery they're talking about is a bit of a bigger job than that. Lots of people work to install and check the meters in homes and offices. This helps to ensure that customers only pay for the energy they use. I think I'd be great at reading meters, and I love meeting new people. They might be a bit surprised to see a zoggy and alien on the doorstep. I think we should probably leave the energy jobs to the earthlings. Yeah, and we should concentrate on getting ourselves home. 
Watch out. Looks like we're going to fuse, G. Here it comes. Whoopee! I love a bit of fusion. Here it comes. Woohoo! NNG's Energy Challenge with support from National Grid. Find out more online at funkyflive.com slash energy. Time to answer your questions, then. This is where you send your science problems, I think. Science stuff that's rattling around your brain. You need to leave it as a review for the show over on Apple Podcasts. That is what Electra has done, who asks, Why are some venomous animals brightly coloured? Now, now this is strange, isn't it? In, in, in nature, when you're out in the wild, if you see like a very brightly coloured berry or a flower, uh, usually it means you don't want to go near it because it's trying to attract insects over. Uh, but in with animals, with toxic animals, it's actually the, the reverse of this. It's for quite a, a bizarre reason, but it's quite obvious. It's to be nice to other animals. Toxic venomous creatures are brightly coloured quite often to let other animals know that they are poisonous. So if a predator is coming along and it thinks, oh, this beetle looks tasty, I'm going to eat it, uh, it, it knows that it's toxic because of the bright colours so it saves everyone quite a lot of trouble, I guess. It's more of a defence mechanism than a way of attracting bright colours. But you know, don't you, quite often bright colours in nature means that something is dangerous. This is from uh, Awesome Penguin Lover 22 Why does it get colder when we go higher, even though we're closer to the sun? Uh, this is a question that has always rattled my brain as well. It makes no sense. Surely we're closer to the sun, so things should be warmer. It's because the Earth acts as a big heater. Now, the light and the warmth from the sun, they are absorbed by the earth through radiation, and then that lets that heat go. Now, the further away from the heater that you are, the colder it gets. And because there's less air uh, high up in the atmosphere too, uh, that means there's, there's less stuff for the earth and the sun's heat to get caught up in, which means that it's colder. And finally, Lily wants to know, why are some people sick on funfair rides? It's because of what's happening inside your ear. We spoke about a similar thing a few weeks ago on the show. Uh, in your ear, in your inner ear, there is a fluid. There is a liquid there. And it's in a little chamber, kind of like a little room inside your ear. And when you move left or right, when you tilt from side to side, it sloshes all around your ear and it moves little hairs, which lets your brain know when you are balanced or maybe when you're off balance. Now, when you're on a roller coaster, that liquid, it's going round and round, sloshing like a washing machine, and it can all get a bit too much for your brain. So much is going on, which can make you feel sick. Lily, thank you for the question. If you've got something sciencey that you want answered on the show, you need to leave it as a review for me over on Apple Podcasts. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly, and here is an incredible story all about a child genius inventor who has done something to help deaf people all around the world. His name is Dylan Sandy. He is 13 years old. He's from Cheltenham, and he's on the show. Hey, Dylan. Hi. So your invention is all to do with a cochlear implant, which is something that helps deaf people like yourself to, to hear. Uh, can you just explain to us what it is and, and kind of how it works? Um. A cochlear implant is a device that will sit and curve around your ear whilst um, translating all the sounds from everyone and all the objects around you and it sends it to your brain so your brain can figure out what it is. It is an amazing bit of kit, isn't it? Now, uh, your work with one, uh, an idea you have had has helped you win a pretty incredible science award 
Can you just tell me a little bit about the contest and how you first heard of the competition? Um, so the contest um, is a competition from Adele and they um, are the people who did my cochlear implants and um, my mum shows me the implant competition from Facebook and um, I thought this is something that I could do because I quite like doing this kind of thing. So when you were first made aware of the competition, what things did you start thinking of? What uh, what ideas did you have to make your life easier and to help out with your cochlear implants sending messages to your brain? Um, so at the f- my first idea was a thing which would play music to your cochleas, but they kind of already brought that one out. It would have been for all cochleas, but it wouldn't have been that great. But then I I was wearing my nice watch and I thought... As it's smart, why don't we make it smarter and um, adjust it so it can fit with my cochleas and everything? A smarter watch is a, a brilliant idea. I guess, but Dylan, what would a smart watch actually do? Is it just kind of playing sounds through your cochlea? Is it giving you messages? Is it giving you even more information than, than other people get? What things would you like this smarter watch to do? Um, so it would be able to wake you up if there was a fire or like a gas leak in your house because I have a special thing by my bed which vibrates at the moment but if you have your watch on you it's most likely going to work and wake you up better and um, it can tell you what percentage your cochlear is on so it's if it's going to run out while you're out on a walk you don't have to change it because I get that to me a lot. Amazing so you'll just be out on a walk and it will stop you hearing. I guess a smarter watch would really help that. Now, now, since you've won the contest, Dylan, have you had any other ideas about other things that it could do to help your life? Um, so I was thinking that it could be um, just a s- smart watch, like as in a normal smart watch, so it's still got the features of like being able to track your steps and your heart rate and everything. But um, no, I haven't really thought of that much other than it because I was quite happy with my invention. <laughs> it's it's an incredible prize for you to win. Uh, what have they given you for winning the contest? I've been given a Dell Inspiron laptop. Amazing, mate. Well, full congratulations from us. It's a brilliant idea. Uh, so outside of the smartwatch, though, Dylan, if you are going to grow up to be a mega genius inventor, uh, is there anything else bubbling away? Uh, anything you want to see invented maybe not ear-based at all just anything you want to see invented i want to hear about that quickly um so i didn't actually think of this my friend did it and we were on the webinar but there was this thing called the signalator and it would convert whatever people were saying into a sign and i thought that would be good if i could put that into the watch as well but also maybe have that as a device and maybe having a cochlear implant that could translate what people are signing to you. But could that be any help? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be a lot of help sometimes. Yeah, I guess it's, it's a lot of work there, isn't it? Well, listen, Dylan, Dylan, mate, it's an amazing idea and a brilliant story. Well done for keeping your brain going on these things. And I would love to see it actually made. Uh, Dylan, Sandy, have fun in Cheltenham. And thank you for being on the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you. Bye. Now for this week's Dangerous Dan, we're looking at the biggest snake in history. Titanoboa was a 40-foot-long snake, gigantic, like something from the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, It was discovered in South America just a few years ago. 
Now, it lived 60 million years ago, which was a little while after the dinosaurs went extinct. It's kind of like when they went, this big beast came along to mop up the prey that thought they could come out again. Uh, Titanoboa, it weighed over a ton. It was twice as heavy as a polar bear. It was thicker than a grown-up's arm is long. And it lived in the hot, humid jungle, where its brown skin helped it blend into the muddy waters where it would lie in wait. And it would wait there, just wait there until some unsuspecting prey came along, and then it would strike viciously, very quickly, by either wrapping its huge body around the prey and choking it, or just by delivering one quick, stealthy blow. It's hard to imagine an animal that was this big could lie in wait and be camouflaged. Now, scientists don't know that much about the Titanoboa. I mean, it lived 60 million years ago. We'll let them off. But they do all agree on one thing. This mega snake swallowed its prey whole. It would gulp you down before you had a chance to scream. Come on! It's the biggest snake in history. Longer than buses, thicker than a human. It lived near the dinosaurs. I mean, Titanoboa has to go on our dangerous stand list. We're heading outside now, looking at the weather, looking at the climate, how things are changing. With our genius guru, this is Marina Ventura. Marina Ventura's Climate Explorers. Hi there, Marina Ventura here. Now, as we've been finding out, when you hear the words weather and climate, you might think they mean the same thing, but they're quite different. Isn't that right, Mappy? Hi, Marina. Yes, that's correct. It might be rainy today or it might be sunny. That's the weather. But climate is the pattern of weather in a place over a much longer time. And different parts of the world have very different patterns of weather. Why is that? The Earth's climate is driven by energy from the sun, which arrives in the form of heat. Half of this energy travels through our atmosphere and reaches the Earth's surface. The other half is either absorbed by the atmosphere or reflected back into space. Because the Earth is a sphere, the sun's rays reach the Earth's surface in polar regions at a much more slanted angle than at the equator. So, straight away, we know that the poles are colder than the equator. Now, when things aren't in balance, nature likes to even things out. So the extra energy at the equator needs to be spread across the planet. And it's this that creates different climate zones across the world. Warm air rises at the equator and moves toward the poles. Where warm, wet air rises, we get thunderstorms and tropical rainforests. And where air sinks, it stops clouds from forming. So it rains less, even making deserts. So, MapApp, how many climate zones are there and how do they differ? Well, around the equator we have tropical climates, which are hot and humid. This is where you'll find the world's rainforests. Then there are arid or dry climates, like you'd find in deserts. Next is Mediterranean, with hot, dry summers and cooler, wetter winters. And then there are temperate climates. That's what we have in the UK, isn't it? Where summers are mild and winters aren't too cold. That's right. In areas that are a very long way from the sea, the climate is continental, with long, cold winters and short, hot summers. Finally, there's polar climates, which experience long periods of extreme cold. Hang on, though. I've been to countries like France and Italy in the Mediterranean, and depending upon where I am, I've experienced very different weather conditions. They have lots of snow in winter, and some of their mountains are even snow-covered all year round. But they also have beautiful beaches, great fun during the hot and dry summers. So, 
if you've got both snow-covered mountains and hot beaches, does that mean they don't have a Mediterranean climate? Of course not. It just means that local climates in a country can be different to the region's climate. This can be for lots of reasons. High places like mountains tend to be colder because the air is cooler the higher you go. Vegetation can also affect the local climate we experience. In equatorial rainforests, dense vegetation blocking the wind, combined with high temperatures and rainfall, means it's a very humid place to be. Where there's no vegetation, the air can be much drier and the wind can blow. In busy cities, the air temperature is often warmer than the surrounding countryside, particularly at night time. This is due to buildings and roads absorbing heat during the day and giving it off at night. Another thing that can affect a local climate is the wind. It might be that part of a country frequently catches wind from another region. This is called a prevailing wind. If it's coming from a hotter place, this might raise temperatures. Or if it's from a colder area, it will cause the local temperature to drop. Brrr, I think I want to be back on the beach. This wind's coming from a very cold place. Lovely. Time for a dip. Even the oceans have a part to play in influencing our weather and climate. As we shall find out later. Thanks, Mappy. And just because a place has one climate doesn't mean it won't change. Climate scientists take measurements over long periods of time to track patterns in temperature and rainfall. These help us know what to expect today and in the future, but are also a great way to see what changes have happened in the past. Amazing to think that 20,000 years ago, the UK would have been in the Ice Age, and our climate here would have been similar to the polar climates that we see today. Brrr, cold enough to have a pet polar bear. Join us next time when we'll be finding out about how and why climates change. Marina Ventura's Climate Explorers, supported by the Natural Environment Research Council, the science of the natural world. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash marina. Let's do this week's Science in the News. NASA has successfully flown a small helicopter on Mars. The drone, called Ingenuity, was airborne for less than a minute, but it showed what can happen, how the future might look. And in that future, NASA are hoping it will fly higher and further to explore more of the red planet. Also, scientists have identified a new species of dinosaur in northern Chile, which is in South America. It was unearthed in the Atacama Desert. Experts say it was a plant-eating titanosaur with a small head, a long neck and a flat back. And finally, a rare insect has been seen in Scotland for the first time in 30 years. The cow wheat shield bug was found in Woodland. It's got a black body, two white spots, and it's only the eighth time that the bug has been seen there. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. If you've got a science question, leave it for me as a review. Drop it over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave your name. Drop us five stars so I can see it as well and I can say hello. While you're on Apple Podcasts, it's one of the best places that you can hear loads of our brilliant podcasts. Some are science-y, some are about history, some are about the future. They're all there. You can also get them on Spotify, uh, on Google, and wherever you get your shows. And Fun Kids, we're a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all around the country on your DAB digital radio, on that free Fun Kids app, and at funkidslive.com. I'm James Stewart, and in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. Led, of course, by your questions. 
Hi Gems, I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. <laughs> this is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts.